This is the Out of Water Podcast. Thanks for checking out our podcast. I'm the man behind the controls, Mark Lautenschlager. In studio with me today, your hosts, Pastor of Spiritual Formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith, and Co-Director of Student Ministries, Drew Brown. So this time on the Out of Water podcast, uh, we're going to be talking about spiritual disciplines. And the first thing that occurs to me when I hear the term spiritual disciplines, Sam, mm-hmm. is in some people's mind, I think there's a, a negative connotation with the word discipline. You think of discipline as being uh, as being a punishment or restriction in some way, but um, but spiritual disciplines are about developing good habits, right? How would we defi- how do we define spiritual discipline? Well, there's this book that I read in preparation for a teaching series that we did in our church, and it's by Donald Whitney, and it's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And in there, he uses a verse, it's 1 Timothy 4, 7, and he uses that as the driving verse. And it says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And in our culture today, I'd say in that phrase, you know, that that's kind of one of the main points of life, right? You're, sure. You want to become more like Jesus. You want your life to reflect, you know, the, the ethics and virtues of God. And so how do you do that? Well, you've got to discipline yourself for godliness. Right. And we were talking about this with a number of, of young people in, in the ministry, and it dawned on me to ask the question, do you really want that? Like, as when we, when we walk around in the Christian life, it's like, oh, of course we want godliness. Of course we want to be more like Jesus. But when you really stop and think about it, you know, if I could wave a wand over you and take away all of your idols and take away all the little petty things that you indulge in that you really like that you know you shouldn't, uh-huh. if I could take it all away from you and replace it all with Jesus— would you want it? And and the conversations that resulted were pretty pretty interesting. And if we're being honest, there's a lot about life that we don't want to give up for the sake of godliness. Mm-hmm. You know, we love the idea of becoming more godly. We love the idea of becoming more like Jesus. But take away the things that Jesus would prefer me not to have, and we go. I don't want to go that far. And so the idea of disciplining is because we're not in the habit of <laughs> being like Jesus. We're, right. we're very not in the habit of being like Jesus. It requires discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and the word, the, the Greek word that's behind that word discipline is gymnazo. And in the Greek, that's where we get the word gymnasium. And it literally means... So you, training, strengthening. Absolutely. Right. Okay. You, it's something that you've got to commit yourself to right. every day to where your instincts just become, it becomes second nature that your response to different things is like Jesus. And so it's like going to the gym. Yeah. We don't want to go to the gym, but we want the fruit <laughs> of maybe, going to the gym. Maybe Drew wants to go to the gym. No, I don't. You don't really want to go to the gym? <laughs> no, You're not one of those? I don't like yeah, the okay. Gym. Okay. I also think that we have to think about this idea that there's, um, that when we say, do you want to have godliness, there's people that the first question they're going to ask is, well, what, at what price, at what cost? I mean, mm-hmm. I think people want to have things if it's easy, yeah. right? But if we start talking about, well, do you really want godliness? If you ask me that question, the, the, my natural response would be to say, what's it going to take? Hmm. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, is it just that, that we're kind of like naturally lazy? Is that what, or do we not understand, do we even understand what it, what it really takes to develop? Yeah spiritual discipline and, and and godliness what's the what's the old saying who which artist was it that said uh oh was it michelangelo that said when i make a statue i start with a big block of marble and i just keep chipping away until the statue inside reveals itself 
Hmm. I don't know. I've never was, heard that before. Was, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look this up, or I'll sound like an idiot. But <laughs> there really was a guy that said that. And uh, but the idea was that 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 inside a big block of marble is this beautiful statue, and that the process of make of creating that statue is just taking away everything that's not the statue. Yeah. So I've always kind of thought about that when I've thought of this idea of godliness is that is that the potential for godliness is first that we have to take away everything that's not part of mm-hmm. that process of becoming more like christ and looking more like him yeah, yeah. I, I think that when when you first asked me that question sam when you were preparing for this talk i found myself thinking like my gut reaction is to want to answer and say yes because i do long for godliness um but then when i really peel it back and i think about it it doesn't my something that i, I often find myself saying with my own friends and then also in student ministry i hear my my high school girls say this a lot is I want to want, I want to want to want yeah. that. Yep. Maybe I said want too many times, but you know what I'm saying? You I want got, to want to want to want. Yes, exactly. Like I want to want that, but all too often I know that I should want that. And so I, I quick jump to say yes. But then when I really think about my heart and the cost of that, there's very real ways that I'm backpedaling and I'm, I'm uncertain yep. of what I'm willing to give for that. Yeah. And you look, you look down the road and you know, that if you were all in and you'd really devoted yourself to these things, you know what the Christian life offers, right? The fruit mm-hmm. of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all these wonderful things that we wish were decorating our life, that we mm-hmm. wish that they that kind of defined who we are. But the Bible gives this map of how we're to live growing more like Jesus and to grow more like Jesus it means you, you know, there's, there's a cost to that. You have to yeah. die to your selfishness. You have to die to your impulses. The mm-hmm. Bible says you've got to take up your cross and crucify the sinful nature. And we just don't want to do that. We desperately want to be what a mature Christian looks like. We want the fruit of that. Mm. But today, that means I have to give up some things. It's yeah. going to cost me. And, and especially in American culture, we desperately don't want to do that. But that dynamic that you see it works that way in everything in life. It really does. So, I mean, if, if you think about uh, a student, they have to study now. It's going to cost something for them to get the reward in the long run, right? right. Uh, somebody with health, you have to diet and exercise now to be healthy in the long run. Mm-hmm. But if you choose to take your reward now, if I choose to you know, sit at home and eat hot dogs and bonbons and junk food later down the line. That's not a combination, hot dogs and bonbons. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, well, that would explain my body shape. But anyway, <laughs> but, but anyway, down the road, that's going to impact my health, right? And sure. so there's this dynamic that you can, you can choose, in some sense, discipline now for glory and reward later, or you can take your glory now and there will be suffering later. Yeah. And so the idea of spiritual disciplines, and we're not talking about horrible things. We're talking about right. things like prayer, fasting, going right. to church, plugging into community. Uh, those are the things that if we commit to do them now, it will yield those beautiful traits of godliness in the long run. But we don't want to do that now. By the way, just so I don't sound like an idiot, it was Michelangelo. All right. Michelangelo, the quote was, the sculpture, I'm, I'm Googling things while we're doing the podcast. The sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. Hmm. It is already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. Yeah, that's, hmm. that's cool. So basically to, to sculpt David, he just chipped away all the marble that didn't look like David to yeah. him. Hmm. You know, so. 
you know, part of the process of conforming us to the image of Christ that, that happens this process of, of what you, I guess you'd call sanctification, um, is that we do have to give up these things and, and God actually removes them from us. Mm, yeah. You know, sometimes by, sometimes by uncomfortable means. I mean, you have to be honest, but, uh, but we, when we say that there's, a discipline it really isn't an it really isn't a negative thing as much as it's just a developing and strengthening these practices and habits that enable us mm-hmm. to uh, mm-hmm. chip away the things that aren't part of godliness yeah and they i think all those disciplines that training prepares you for when life throws you curveballs and you have hardship mm-hmm. so so we want you know the easy way right now and usually what happens is people will ignore their spiritual disciplines right Sure. Until the curveball comes, until life throws you a really hard situation or deep grief or a situation that stresses you out and you're, you're asking, why in the world is this happening? And then we go into this urgent rushing to try to, to, to seek God and to pray in those moments. All that makeup prayer. Yeah. Making deals with God. Yeah, right. And in and, and a moment of crisis. And what the scriptures are calling us to it, no, 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 no. You don't run to the spiritual disciplines when your house is on fire. Right. You do the spiritual disciplines so that when the crisis comes, you respond instinctively in a manner that's Christ-like and at peace, and you can walk through the storms of life having those disciplines. Yeah. You know, that same word, gymnazo, I love this, but uh, Josephus, who wrote uh, right shortly after Jesus and, and the New Testament was written, when he explains why the Roman army was so good, he uses that very word. And he says the reason why they were superior to all other armies is they trained. And so that, that idea of training is they mm-hmm. had developed their instincts every day. They practiced these things. They practiced for war. They were constantly running drills to where when the real thing came, they instinctively knew what to do. They instinctively fought together and in unison and they defeated their enemies because right. they were ready for whatever circumstances. They had trained for that. Mm-hmm. And so when you're doing spiritual disciplines and you're, you're reminding yourself of the truth of God's word, you're praying, you're seeking intimacy with him when the storm comes, when the crisis comes, when the battle comes, mm-hmm. it's not a surprise. You're working in instincts with what you've been disciplining yourself to if do. If anybody hears the rumbling, it's not my stomach. It actually is, you know, this is Florida. It's the afternoon as we record this, and it's time for our afternoon thunderstorm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, let, me, let me throw something out here for this, because it occurs to me when we start talking about people doing that sort of makeup disciplines, like something bad has happened, so now all of a sudden I'm going to really start praying, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab my Bible and blow the dust off it and start leafing through pages frantically. Two things that occur to me. The first is that people are misunderstanding what the discipline is for, and you just kind of covered that. The discipline is to prepare yourself. It's not to deal with the problem, but it's rather to prepare yourself for life in general, for godliness in general. I also think that people are doing this in sort of a a sacrificial way. It's that deal-making thing. And I think it's important to point out that these aren't things that we do because we want God to like us better. This isn't the coin by which we negotiate deals with God. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about here in spiritual discipline is entirely for our own benefit. This, we do this because this is the best thing that we can do for ourselves. But I also think that's part of what makes it so important to start with the question of, do you even want this? Because I think that all too often, at least in my own experience, I I grew up in the church. I sure. grew up around people. I went to Christian school. And so I was told Spiritual disciplines are good. You need them. You need to commit to them. And so if you asked me that question, I would 
most of my life have very easily and quickly said, yeah, I want that. I want godliness. But I hadn't really wrestled with why I wanted it or mm, where okay. there's a lot of things in my life that I'm, I'm committed to. I discipline myself for, and it's not that I always enjoy that, but I know why I've chosen that. And so I think starting this whole conversation with, do you even know why you've chosen to commit to these things okay. is huge because Otherwise, we're just going through the motions and trying to engage our heart and soul with these disciplines that we feel disconnected from emotionally. And which, which does though also, um, I think our emotions are extremely important to consider. And yet, you know, emotions don't dictate the need for right. having disciplines, whether you feel like it or not, which is kind of like another thing in itself. But I think mm-hmm. starting in this place of, do we know why these disciplines matter? Um, does our heart actually believe that in these disciplines we gain Christ? We gain just like an intimacy with him that is worth what right. it's going to cost. Yeah. No. And, and you said something there that I think, you know, hits the money on the head. Um, we hits, gain or hits, Christ. The na- or hits the nail on the head. What did I say? Hits the money on the head, but that's okay. Cause I'll leave that in. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> What what are some other things I can mess up? <laughs> it hits the nail on the head. Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. So the thing she said that hit the nail on the head. That is correct. Thank you. Yes. Is that you gain Christ. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so often when we come to Christianity, we see Christianity as like when, when we're talking about spiritual disciplines. Okay. Christianity is calling me away from my stuff from my comforts, right? It's it's calling it me is. to change all these things. But if we look at it as as that, it's slavery. Like, I don't want to do that. If you're just saying, hey, you need to pray more and give up your time that you spend watching TV and go to your closet and pray and fast and read your Bible, then it's like, Ugh, I don't want to do that. Right. If you're calling me just to leave something, it feels like slavery, where, where I think the church needs to get better and where Paul in the scriptures goes... It's not about what he's calling you away from. It's what he's calling you to. You're gaining Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, do, do we really stop to think about that for a moment? That there is a God who's not, you know, just this objective God in the sky who's, not, who's indifferent toward us. This is a God that the scriptures say sings over us, smiles over us, that his heart is ravished by us when we give him a glance of our eyes. That kind of love, that kind of intense devotion to us, he smiles over us when we give him our our affections. Like, there is a personal being who died on a cross for me, gave everything for me, and he's the source of everything in my life, and he calls me to draw near to him. And when I do, that's when I find my satisfaction. And so there's this great line from John Piper when he's talking about Christian hedonism, where he says, God is most glorified by us when we are most satisfied in him. Hmm. That's true. That's the nature of our God. He longs and delights to see us being satisfied in him. And instead, really, we're looking and we have a hard time pursuing Christian disciplines, spiritual disciplines, because we don't want to give up all the petty things that we cling to, when the reality is we're being called to something that's so much better, so much richer, so much more beautiful that should make us be like, get rid of these things. These mm-hmm. things are so petty and empty. Like, right. I want him. He's the prize. You know, we're doing uh, the personal worship this week 
leading up to Sam's message <laughs> that's coming up. And uh, it was the, the passage in Philippians that got me thinking mm. about this. Um, the, the passage that, uh, this is Philippians 3, um, Paul kind of runs through the things that are really good about him, where he lists his credentials and all these things that he has, where, you know, yeah, he's got reason for confidence in the flesh. He's circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, goes through all these credentials. And then he says this, which is remarkable, but whatever gain I had, Accounted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, account everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Mm-hmm. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I mean, it's like that perspective of I've got all of this that makes me an exemplary leader among yeah. my people. And it's all, I count it as, he says, like refuse, like dung or garbage. It's like sewage. It's sewage, basically. Hmm. And it's not the nicest word. There's a, it's, it's not. It's almost a little vulgar. People are surprised that Paul puts that in his, in his language. Yeah. But this is what he's comparing all the stuff that he's had to walk away from. And you want to talk about, I mean, what does it cost us in our faith? Not a lot as Americans. I mean, and we're pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. It cost him everything. Comfort, family, position, status, wealth, reputation, all of it, and eventually his life. Right. And when he looks at what it cost him, he says, that's sewage by comparison of knowing and experiencing my Savior. So I'm giving up really nothing. The value yeah. of what I'm getting yeah. is so great that I'm really giving up nothing. I think that the, one of the things that people – or that I've heard from people, you start going to church and, and you feel like disconnected, like it's not real. Well, why is that? Well, they feel like they don't have this, you know, what do you mean by having a relationship with Jesus? Well, if you have a relationship with somebody, you spend time with them, you interact with them. There's some aspect of this. It's like you know them. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the biggest thing is that you know them. And the interesting thing to me is that um, there's that scene that's described in um, – well, it's a judgment scene. I think it's in Matthew where everybody, these guys are lined up before Jesus and they start running through all the things. Lord, you know, didn't we do all these things for you? And the answer that Jesus says is, is I didn't know you. Yeah. He doesn't say anything about what they did. It's yeah, one of did. the scariest parts of scripture, I well, think. It, it is, but it's also, to me, it's comforting because what he's saying is it's not about what you do. Mm-hmm. It's about the relationship that we have. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you. Yeah. So the question is, do you want him to know you? Do you want to know him? Do you want to have that and relationship? That, you know, I used to, when I would have conversations with people about that particular verse, because they come to him, and they're doing incredible things. That It's like, we're cast out demons in your name. We did all these things for you. And, and he says to them, this is the day of judgment. He says, depart from me. Ooh, hmm. I never knew you. Yeah. So I mean, we think about this like... One, let me tell you about what that means about the character of our God. For starters, God's not interested in what you can do for him. Abs- that's, yes. Mm. Unless yes. your heart comes first. Yeah. He, mm. it, it's, it's like I used to give this illustration to my kids, that if I, my students, that if I came home to Laura and on the way home I picked up flowers and, and candy and I wrote her a poem and I came through the door and I said, oh, here's, here's all the stuff that I've done for you. And then as she came to give me a kiss, she saw another woman's lipstick on my collar and strange perfume all over me. How valuable are the candies now? How valuable are the flowers? How valuable is the poem? God, is he, he refers to himself as our groom, right? We're a bride to him. He desperately wants our hearts. He wants our fidelity. And if, if I brought home 
all these demonstrations of works, right? My deeds, but mm-hmm. my heart was totally nowhere near my wife. It was given to anything and everything else. Those mm-hmm. deeds are not going to mean anything. Those candies are going to end up in the trash. Mm-hmm. And so what Jesus is saying as a comfort, he's like, it's, it's not about what you can do for me. I'm the God of the universe. You're not going to impress me. I speak universes into existence with a word. <laughs> You're That's not going to impress me. I want your heart. Yeah. Because you see the tenderness mm-hmm. that is in him. He wants relationships. That's it. That's exactly right. And when you're when you're wondering, like, are you of the faith? Imagine yourself if a plane landed on you right now and you were standing before the throne. If you were to imagine Jesus saying to you, I never knew you, would you be totally shocked? Would you say, oh, how could you say that to me? You mean so much to me. Jesus, I've, I, I, I want more of you. I've, I've longed to know you. If you're shocked at hearing that, that should be great comfort to you. But on the flip side, if you're just going through the motions and you really don't know him, I want to invite you like right now, seek him out. Seek to get to yeah. know him. He's mm-hmm. beautiful. He's worthy. He's wonderful. And he will fill your life with hope and beauty he really is wonderful. And when we talk about, you know, salvation, it's like, okay, finally, yay, Jesus died for me, I get to go to heaven. The more the deeper you get into Christianity, the more you realize heaven is not about the golden streets. Heaven is not about, you know, all the wonderful it's wonderful. That's great. Reunion with loved ones who've gone on before us. So that's wonderful. The great reward of heaven is that the infinite God of the universe, with all of his attributes of love and joy and peace and mm-hmm. all his wonderment, are yours. He mm. invites you to call him your own, and he is going to be your treasure and your reward forever. He gives himself. That's the great treasure. Mm-hmm. Right. And so get to know him. Draw near to him. He's beautiful, and he's worth it. Which also adds a lot of freedom to the idea of these disciplines. That if you come to if you come to reading the Word, if you come to reading the Bible or prayer or church or fasting, and it's this, um, I feel like there can be this anxiety or fear of I'm, I have to do this right, I have to do this well enough, and come out and feel like I know God better, and I can feel good about that because and of how well you did it. Exactly. So yeah. then it's still a misplaced focus. It's right. still on what we gain through doing this and how well you do it. Exactly. It's about you. And yeah. and instead, there's like a freedom in coming and just thinking, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read God's word because I believe that He is speaking through this word and. I am just going to be present in, with the word in front of me. And I'm going to pray and I'm, I'm going to just breathe. Like yeah. I think when you were mm-hmm. speaking, I just found myself thinking like that's just like invites us all to breathe and realize like God wants our heart and he's not coming and asking us just to quickly get this all down in one moment, which yeah. I think yeah. there's this, there's this pressure. I, when I, when I talk to my high school girls, that is, that is, Truly, the, my students who really are seeking actively to know God more and to grow, that is such a burden that I hear on their hearts of, I just, when I read the word, I don't feel like it's making sense enough, and then I feel like I don't know God, and it makes me doubt, and it makes me mm. question, instead of just seeing like, no, th- this is part of your walk with Christ. You're getting to know him. You're wrestling. Like, There's a freedom, and you yeah. don't have to worry that you're earning him somehow. Like He is yours. Yeah. And so you get to partake in these things. So, so when I first started toying with the idea of coming to, to faith in Christ, I had this idea that I needed to get my life really cleaned up before I said, okay, I'm in. Hmm. 
And that's the upside-down version of the way Christianity actually works. He doesn't take people who are cleaned up and, you know, say, okay, you're now worthy. He takes people who are total train wrecks like we are, and by his power, the power of his spirit, he begins to change us and our desires. And so I remember when I first came to faith, I felt so unworthy. And by the way, I was unworthy. (laughs) But I thought to myself, you know, God would never want someone like me. And then I remember reading... The parable that Jesus told of the the lost sheep, mm. and that was so powerful to me because I felt like the outsider, the one that could never be good enough, the one that was not close enough, the one that couldn't give up his addictions, the one that was so far off, and I just couldn't make him more important. I felt ashamed. And I read the parable where Jesus says, you know, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, will he not leave the ninety-nine to go search for the one. And that that's powerful. That's wonderful. That, so, okay, Jesus will leave the ones who seem to have it all together to go after the one who's astray. He chases after them. But then the, the next part of that parable is even more powerful, and where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, when he finds that one, he rejoices more over that one than the 99. Right. And that was like, wait a minute, you, you mean you would take me and all my mess and the fact that I've wandered so far away and I'm still wandering, mm-hmm. and you would come and find me and you would rejoice and all the angels of heaven would rejoice over me as opposed to the 99? And then it was like, okay, well, that means that if I really want to please God, it's not about my position and whether or not I'm astray or not. It's whether I'm found. And if I want to delight the heart of God, it's not, okay, well, I'm going to get back in line. It's letting him rejoice in finding me and giving my life to him. We should probably point out to people that we're not suggesting that the way you please God is wandering even farther so that he has to chase you more. <laughs> right. You know, we're not, <laughs> we're not suggesting if I want God to be happy, what I need to do is give him the big chase. Right. No, we're not saying that. Yeah. No, that, that it grieves the heart of God when one of his sheep go astray. Right. Mm-hmm. What delights him is when they're found. Yeah. But there's a freedom in that to come as you are. Yes. Yeah. To bring your questions, bring there your is. insecurities. and When you first come to faith, at least I remember myself, because now, mind you, I'm getting very close to 60. Um, and this happened when I was, you know, um, 14. So, you know, you're going back a long way. But I do remember there was a, a great feeling of relief, a great feeling of like, okay, I understand. It's not about me. And then, however, I felt like I couldn't do anything right. Like I was, okay, well, I've started, you know, I believe this gospel. So I'm going to start now by, and a lot of it was the things we're talking about, discipline. I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to, and I would fail and I would fall down and I wouldn't do it and everything else. And I felt like I was such a disappointment to God that clearly I must, you know, I'm not doing this right. I'm a big failure and everything else. And I, I do think that, um, the idea of the freedom to not do it perfectly is really important. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about people who have these eloquent, you know, prayers that when people hear them, that, that somebody up there, God's like talking to the angels going, hey, 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 write this down. This is a good one. I want to put this one in my next devotional. Write this, listen to this guy. This is awesome. That's not what's going on here. Right. We're, not, we're not talking about, and when you're reading the Bible, it's not like you have to, I'm going to read Ezekiel until I understand what that means. <laughs> You know, those kinds of things. It's okay to not do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're not going to do it. Uh, you're not going to do it well. <laughs> right. just, just be honest. Um, when I came to faith, I had these uh, these things that I struggled with, and it took years. And, and the big things, you know, the things that you would consider, wow, he had that addiction or this addiction, he was this behavior, really kind of ones that would probably shock 
a lot of people in the church. It took years for those to go away, and now I've got all these new little things that, mm-hmm. that I'm still, you know, battling through. And I think at this point, it's it's really helpful to understand that there's different meanings of the term salvation. Okay. Um, so, like when you when you gave your life to Jesus at 14, and right. then you struggled, am I really worthy of this? Right. You know, one of the things that's beautiful about the Christian faith is if you genuinely, authentically place your faith in Christ, then you're saved. Like you are rescued, and and the word for that is justification. Jesus has gone to the cross; he's paid the penalty of your sin, and there is now no condemnation for you. Mm-hmm. You cannot be lost. You cannot go to hell. Jesus has purchased you; you're his, and that's done. And so that's called justification. It's past tense. It's already accomplished. It's finished, and Jesus has paid for the penalty of your sin. Then you enter into the the stage of salvation. That's not so fun, and that's called sanctification. And <laughs> sanctification is what's happening right now. You are right now being saved from the power of sin. The more the Spirit takes control in your life, the more that you're surrendered to Christ in this life, the more you're being rescued from the power of sin. The things that used to hold great power over me back in the day no longer hold power over me. I've walked away from those addictions. They're not even tempting. And so that's a present tense you are being saved from the power of sin. And the last one is, is a wonderful one. That's glorification, and that's, that's future tense. Mm. That's when we're in heaven, when we're in glory, and that's you will be saved from the presence of sin. So you got the three stages. Justification is you have been saved from the penalty of sin. Nothing can separate you from the love of God and Christ. That is, your, your sins are paid for. You're clothed in his righteousness. You are his. You're mm. a child of God. The next stage is where we're talking about today when we build these spiritual disciplines, drawing nearer to him so that the power of sin has less and less sway over us in the here and now. And so as a 14-year-old boy, justification, done. Your penalty, paid for. The rest of your life is this really annoying battle with the flesh and sin. (laughs) All you have to do is read Romans chapter 7. There's a good one to read if you're looking for the battle between the flesh and and the spirit. um, But one of the things that, uh, you know, because I love Romans and I love Paul, and in Romans uh, 8, 5, he writes that for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit Mm -hmm. set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Mm -hmm. That the process of sanctification isn't one of self-flagellation, because it sounds like we're making it a little too like ominous, like, oh, it's this terrible thing that we're all going through sanctification. (laughs) It's so uncomfortable. It's like being rubbed with Brillo pads and that kind of thing. And and actually what we're talking about is we're talking about a process by which we we begin to turn more to the things of the spirit and less to our own flesh and our own needs and 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 the appetites and things that drive us. Yeah, there's this battle. I, I love this illustration. Um, it, there's a famous novel. Most people know the the basic story of it, but it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Sure. And so the source of that kind of comes over this tension that each of us has inside of us. And the gospel is coming to answer this with sanctification. So let me explain. So the, the, here's the story. You have Dr. Jekyll, right? And he He's got these two natures inside of him. He, he wants to be this really noble, smart, worthy man, but he has all these appetites inside of himself that are constantly making him do bad things, and then he's shamed by them. And so he comes up with a potion to separate them. 
so that as his good self, Dr. Jekyll, he would be able to live in a way that's, you know, pleasing and respectable. And then Mr. Hyde gets all the appetites and passions and everything else. And because the, one of the reasons why he wants to do that, and everybody can relate to this. You know, if, if we go toward either extreme, if I just try to be really good all the time and I never feed my appetite and I'm always the, this really good guy, it feels enslaving. If I do it all in my own effort, right, mm-hmm. then, then I just feel like, ah, oh, this is no fun. I want to do those things that my flesh and appetite wants. So it feels enslaving. But if you go to the other extreme and you just become Mr. Hyde, essentially, and you just feed the appetites, then your conscience comes and accuses you and tells you you're worthless and you're a terrible human being. And so in either direction you go, if you, if you want to be the goody two-shoes, that's no fun. We all know that. We hate the idea of being restricted and being the goody two-shoes. Or... If we go to the other side and we're Mr. Hyde, then we're ashamed because we're living like crazy people and feeding our appetites and addictions, and that's crazy. And the gospel comes to both sides and says, die, die. Your, your appetites, your passions, the things that chase the things of this world, that, that's going to die. Right. And by the way, your goody two-shoes side that's trying to prove yourself all the time. And by your effort saying, I'm going to be good enough, I'm going to be good enough, I'm going to be good enough, here's the good news about sanctification, that has to die as well. Mm -hmm. And so what sanctification does is as you draw near to Jesus and as you see him for how beautiful he is, this is the big surprise of my life. Because when I walked into Christianity, I thought, man, I've got to give up all these things. What has surprised me in sanctification is that God has changed my desires. Mm Mm-hmm. Both of those have died. I, I, I'm no longer going before God saying, hey, God, look, look how good I am. Look at goody two-shoes, goody two-shoes. Please give me your favor. Give me your blessing. Love me. No, the gospel says his love is mine, not based on anything that I do, but based entirely on what he's done for me. And all of the habits and addictions where I used to find pleasure, they're now empty. I find my pleasure in him more and more as I get older. And I'm constantly changing my he is constantly changing my desires Mm -hmm. and so that's how i when i think of sanctification i think of it in those dual roles because apart from christ apart from the ability to kill those two you're either living in shame by chasing your desires or you're living in slavery by trying to be good enough and the gospel takes both of them and eliminates them and gives you peace and begins to change you Mm -hmm. and that's power that's beauty that's freedom Mm mm-hmm before we start getting into necessarily the specifics of, of each individual type of discipline, I guess I'm thinking there's got to be like a starting point. Like, where do we begin? What's the, what's the starting place? Yeah, I would say once you've wrestled with is, are these spiritual disciplines, why do we, where's your heart with it? Is, is the heart to gain Jesus? If you start there, and if that's the understanding, then I think a really cool next place to look to is to consider how do I, how do I go where Jesus is going to be? And so when you look at scripture in Luke chapter 19, verse four, there's a story of a guy named Zacchaeus. He's a wee little man. Yes. That is how the song goes. But this, in this verse, it says Zacchaeus, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And in this story, Zacchaeus, we learn that he runs and he runs through these crowds. He climbs up this tree And he puts himself in a position to be able to be where he knows Jesus is going to come. And, and in that, that's super telling because 
he had to pursue that place. Mm. He had mm. to intentionally place himself where he knew he would be able to see Jesus, interact with Jesus. And that is what happens in the story. And so w- when you say like, what are the next steps? I think a cool way to think about spiritual disciplines, which I've loved in this conversation is just that that is why that is what spiritual disciplines are is they're putting ourselves where we know Jesus is going to show up, where he's going to be there. And it's going to require intentionality. Um, I, at least I know in my own life, I am, I'm not often stumbling into the intentional places where Jesus is going to show up because it is costly. So a huge one in my life is uh, uh, the spiritual discipline of reading the word, getting in the Bible mm-hmm. um, every single day. And, and this isn't one that in my own flesh, I don't often wake up um, some days I do, but many days I don't wake up wanting to read the Bible first thing. Mm-hmm. It's an intentional discipline that I'm committing to because I know and believe that the word of God is alive and active. And so I want to be in the word because I know that in doing so, I'm going to interact with my God. I'm going to hear him speak. We're going, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask him to reveal truth to me and I'm going to store up his word. And so there's an intentionality that to that though, because if I want to commit to that spiritual discipline, because I believe that in reading the word of God and through prayer, Jesus is going like that. That's first he calls us to in his word, but also that's how he speaks to us. If I, if I believe that, then I have to then be really honest with myself and get serious about what do I have to move around to be able to do that? Because even just for me, if I think about my morning routine, I can easily speed through my morning routine and not make any time for a spiritual Mm. discipline of reading the word. I can wake up and I can walk my dog and I can go on a run and shower and make breakfast and have coffee and watch the news and go to work and, and completely bypass that spiritual discipline of getting in the word because I wasn't purposeful about it. I didn't intentionally prioritize that time, which for me in my heart, when that happens, yeah. it's kind of a moment of pause for me to really wrestle with God and and be honest with him about why why was I able to prioritize a run and and making breakfast and sitting down and watching the news for this long. But why didn't I do that with you? Right. Yeah. And that's like a really uncomfortable question to have to work through with the Lord. But I think what it is what's cool for me is the heart of God is so gracious that I'm, I'm daily struggling with these things. You know, mm-hmm. I think I'm, yeah, I'm, and that's our job. Yeah. <laughs> like that. This doesn't become, I think in, in discipline, I found that things become, um, I, I look forward to it. It's part mm-hmm. of my routine and I experience that there's a lot of freedom in discipline. And I think there's a quote, um, that we were talking about where there's freedom and limitations. And I have experienced that in my life, but I will say like, I still struggle. There's still days that that's hard. And so I think it's, it's really beautiful though, that God is so gracious Mm -hmm. as I struggle through these things. I think that the days that you, that we struggle with some of these disciplines though, we, it's good to understand, you know, why that is, because for example, you talk about the discipline of reading the word. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's people that that look at that and say, okay, well I'm supposed to read, I'm on this reading plan. I'm supposed to read X number of chapters today. And it becomes this obligation Mm -hmm. rather than saying, I'm going to sit down and just, I'm going to sit down and read the word and let God speak to me yeah. because that's really what the purpose is. The purpose is not to tick the box on the reading plan. The, and there's nothing wrong, by the way, there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible 
as a book by following these reading plans. But you have to understand that what you're doing there, at least in my opinion, is you're getting this general knowledge of the Bible. If you read the Bible, you follow the, the reading plan, you read the whole Bible through in a year, the idea is going to be that when somebody starts talking about something, you go, oh, yeah, I read about that in mm-hmm. the Psalms or I yeah. read that in Romans or whatever. Mm-hmm. It gives you this overview of the Bible, this general idea where things are in there. But when we're talking about reading it as part of that spiritual discipline, the idea mm-hmm. is to read it until God speaks to you you're reading something you're reading to let him speak to you about it and i have to acknowledge i gotta say those days when i get up and i don't do that yeah it's because i don't want to hear what he has to tell me because what he's going to have to tell me is you you need to be less selfish you need to be less into yourself you need to you know the the things that he tells us are sometimes really uncomfortable things to hear because we really want to serve ourselves and not serve others and so understand that when we talk about spiritual disciplines we're not talking about you got your checklist Boom, boom, boom. I read three chapters this yeah. morning. Yeah. Bible before phone. That's not what it's about. What it's about is I sat down and I read the word and I let God speak to me. Yeah. Even and the, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Even like a simple thing before I open the Bible, I've, I've made it a discipline for myself to even just stop before I even read and just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to, yeah. to soften my heart, to reveal truth to me, but also to remind my own heart of the gravity of this is me communing with God yes. because because otherwise I can go into it just mindlessly reading and then close it and go on my way. And so that moment of pause for me of saying, all right, God, I, I want to hear you speak and I, I'm, I'm help my heart be ready to receive whatever it is that you're going to say. Because like you said, sometimes um, when I read scripture, I'm really excited and it's like, yeah, that's so great. I love that. And then there's other times I read it and it's like a like a punch to my stomach and I know exactly what the Lord is yeah. <laughs> speaking to me about and it's uncomfortable, but there's, but even that is really powerful because how, how intimate and cool to experience God speaking to you and transforming you as you read the word. Mm-hmm. Like that's a powerful experience. Yeah. When I, when I look back, you know, you look back to the days of Jesus and religion was way more intense than it is in our culture day and age. And one of the things that was most precious to the Jews was something called the Shema, which is in the scriptures. It's Deuteronomy 6. It's where if you ever heard uh, when Jesus is giving the greatest commandments of scripture, he actually quotes this when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And it's in that context that he's saying you need to keep the word of God in front of you. All the, the very next line is he's like, you know, write these on your heart, teach them to your children when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, bind them on your hands, put them on your forehead, write them on your doorpost. If you ever go into a, a, a person who's Jewish's house, a lot, a lot of times by their door, you'll see this little box called a mezuzah, and in it there's yeah. the scriptures. And the reason why the Shema is saying, hey, put them, on, put them on your doorpost. Put them on your arms so that you have scriptures hanging from your arms. They used to wear boxes on their foreheads with scriptures in them. That sounds crazy to us, and it, it is a little crazy. But the idea of it wasn't just, hey, do these things for the sake of doing them. The goal was love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And how do you do that? You constantly are putting the Word of God in front of you, learning who He is, learning His character, learning how He has loved His people through generations, reading about your Savior and His interactions and His mercies, and the more you get to know about Him, which, by the way, when I first became a Christian, I felt like a like a moron when I would read the Scriptures because none of it made sense to me. 
Mm. You've got to surround yourself with people that have already walked that path and learn from those that have gone before you. I wouldn't be anywhere near where I'm at today without people like Dr. Gage and my seminary professors and Mark and conversations with you. Like we sharpen one another and you need to do that. Part of the spiritual discipline is not just, you know, being isolated in your closet and trying to figure this out on your own. You can't like God has engineered us to be in community. That's part of the discipline is to learn from each other. We, there's so much wisdom in the body that we need to glean from one another. Mm. It's not even learning from each other in like an instructional sense. It's not like I, you know, I sit down and now, now it's time for Sam to explain to me some deep doctrine from the way. It might be, that might be the, that might be the case, but a lot of times it's just by somebody sharing what's going on in their life, by yeah. somebody sharing what yeah. God's doing with them, you see yourself in that. You suddenly mm-hmm. realize, wow, that's me too. And so we learn from each other. I think passively as well as actively. Yeah, there's times yeah. when people come and they bring you a word, but there's also times when you're just interacting, you're just doing life. You're so we keep using that phrase doing life, but you're just you're just there with your friends. You're just living in this community mm. and you and they share what's going on with them and you pick that up and that's what we learn from sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely. When we started this podcast, when was that? In early June? Oh, late, late June. Late. I, we I think 1st of July is when we actually debuted it, so we were recording in June. Okay. So when we first started getting together, even way back in like May and just brainstorming and talking about this, I was personally going through a season of just really struggling to want to, to, I understood, I believed that the, the discipline of being in the word was something I needed daily, but I was in the season of it felt extremely dry. I felt extremely emotionally disconnected from my time of being specifically in the word. And so what was really cool is when you said this, this idea of we don't just read the word of God in isolation, I was really, this whole summer for me, I've been really encouraged by the way that I think as part of spiritual disciplines, like you said, is also intentionally putting myself in the presence of people who are also seeking these spiritual disciplines. Because what I've found this summer is that as I have been in the presence of you and you and as we've talked about these things and other people here at staff and friends um god has has used people he has used them sharing their hearts them sharing what god is teaching them in the word to to spark like a hunger in my own Mm -hmm. soul and that has been extremely healing and really powerful in my own life this summer and i think i've seen a lot of times in my own life and, and i hear people say this that sometimes it can be easy to just settle for uh, hearing somebody else tell me about God, Mm -hmm. but not maybe knowing even where that verse is for myself. So maybe I can spout off what I've heard people tell me about God, but I've been convicted at times like, do I even really know where that passage is? Or have I even really wrestled with that myself? And what's cool to me is when uh, you can be in community with other people and that can create a hunger in you that drives you to want to know the mm-hmm. word of God like they do and not to be them, but in the way that like being in community with, with each other, it can, it can draw us deeper back to the word of God because right. it can make me long to know and to, to know the word of God and to be intimate with the Lord in the way that I'm watching him move and speak in these other people's lives. And so I think a spiritual discipline is like there's power in being transparent and vulnerable about your struggles, about, but also about your victories, about the ways that God is 
teaching you and the really cool things that he's growing you in. Like mm-hmm. you two love to share details about history and, and just things that you love about God. You love the book of Romans. I've learned that about you through this podcast <laughs> and, and you love history. And I think what's cool about that is I, I learn, right? I learn academically and theologically by mm-hmm. hearing you guys speak. But even deeper than that, what it does for me is it creates a hunger in me to want to know uh, to know God's word in that way mm-hmm. for myself and not just to listen to it and go on my way. But it makes me say like, no, I want to, I want to interact and speak with the Lord. I want to know him. I want right. to know him. And I want to experience his voice speaking to me more and more each day. Like I've never made it. I'm never just there. And I think that's a, that's a cool piece of it. The community piece that you said. I don't think any of us are ever like, you know, we don't attain it. We, we press yeah, on. That's Paul's thing. It's like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't say that he's obtained this, but that what he does is he presses on. He mm-hmm. keeps pressing for, for that, the goal, the, yeah. for that higher calling, that upward calling as he mm-hmm. puts it. Um, and I think that that's important is to understand that we're not saying that there's a level that you're supposed to achieve. There's not some magic button. At this mm-hmm. point, you're never going to struggle with things anymore. You're never going to have off days, bad days or whatever. But what we are saying is that this is the process by which we get to know Christ better. Yeah, and, and in that process. And, and he becomes a bigger part of our life and there's and we build mm-hmm. that relationship. Yeah, and in that process he changes us. Right. Like you were saying, he he gives us new desires, we experience victory, and then we are walking with him and then like you said there's new things. There's things I'm like, "Oh, now I need to work through that with the Lord." It's <laughs> it's a relationship. It's yeah. not it's not robotic. And so no, I'm I'm prayerfully by God's grace getting to know him more intimately every day and walking with him and committing to spiritual disciplines so that I can know him more intimately. Um, not that I earn him in those, but again, it's the whole idea of putting myself where I know he's going to show up. Right. But even in that understanding that my, my faithfulness to these disciplines is subpar, like, yeah. and it is not ever going to be good enough um, in this life. And right. yet God is gracious like he's faithful, even when I'm completely unfaithful, when I want to do nothing, want nothing to do with these disciplines. Like he graciously, that's that whole, the, the beauty of, like you said, like salvation is already done, but he's still not done with us. Like there's such power in that knowledge. And, and when people hear you say something like, you know, it's subpar, you know, we're not just, this really isn't like one of those humble brags. We're not doing that. This isn't like Twitter where we're saying, you know, oh, well, we're, it's not like we're asking people to go, no, no, Drew, it's not, you, you're doing, you're doing more than par. What no, we're saying yeah, is, we're, we're, no, we're, she really stinks. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but what we're saying is that we understand that, you know, in our, everything that we do as human beings is flawed. Yeah. Bottom line is we are always falling short of how God would do it. I mean, that's that's actually, the, if you want the Bible's definition of sin, the, the Greek word for sin means to miss the mark. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, God sets this standard of absolute holiness and anything that's not completely holy and perfect is sinful. Yeah. So it's not even people like, oh, you, sin is bad yeah. things. I'm like, no, no. Sin can be good things that are done imperfectly it's still sinful my sinful efforts to read the bible my sinful efforts to prayer you're sinning when you pray because i'm doing it imperfectly i'm missing the mark of god's perfection and understanding that he forgives us for that that's that ties back into justification he forgives us for the imperfect way that we do these things with him there's that line in isaiah where he says all of your righteous acts are like filthy Filthy rags rags. 60 isaiah 64 16 i will uh, never forget that and you know you hear that and there's a lot of people who would hear that and go, oh my goodness, that's that's so bad. Why why would you want to be a part of a religion that tells you that even your best 
stuff is bad. And I just want to say that is so liberating. Yeah, I say that's green to me. <laughs> to me, because I don't have to pretend that I've got it together. Mm-hmm. God sees me. He knows me. He knows I'm a mess. And yet he loves me anyway. There's that old line that God loves us so much that he would go to the cross for who we are, Hmm. but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. He's going to change us. He's going to start moving us in the direction of becoming more and more like him, more and more like his beauty and and use us as agents in this world. It's it's really a pretty awesome thing. And like as I fall more in love with the Lord, it humbles me to want to realize the ways that my affections for him and my commitments to him are not where they should be because, and it's not out of a, a burden, like a, a shame. I'm not good enough. It, it's not, it's this humility that says, man, I, I love you so much and you have loved me perfectly. And I want to love you more like this. Man, I want to see you smile. Yeah. Like I want to come, I want to go deeper into your love. I want to experience, I want to, I want to know you. I want to do these things for you, like uh, share my faith and serve and love people, not because I'm earning your love in doing so, but because you've fully given yourself to me and I want I want more of you. I want to, to step further into the things you have for me. So I think that's like when I say this apart, it's like, yeah, I, I think every year I realize more and more of how un worthy in my own faithfulness I am of God's love. And yet that makes grace so much sweeter and more beautiful because I just rest in the fact that (laughs) I don't deserve it, but he's given it. And so it causes me to fall more in love with him. Now, you know, I had that scripture blurt, Isaiah 64, 16. It's actually Isaiah 64, 6. You know how you, you blurt out the reference and you're like, Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. That's not right. It's Isaiah 64, six, it right six. And the, the, the whole verse, I, the whole verse is like, wow. Uh, we have all become, this is from the English Standard Version, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Hmm. I mean, th- that's an apt description of our human natures, of yeah. our humanity. Yeah. And the only way that we can deal with that is by turning to our nature that is the spirit that's that's a spiritual nature because our our human nature our flesh nature that's what we've got that's the best we can do in our own strength but this is also the same prophet on the flip side of that that's just so beautiful that talks about how he's going to wash us white as snow yes how he's going to carry away our iniquities and our transgressions he's going to bear the punishment for that so that we can be absolutely beautiful in the sight of god so Mm -hmm. it's it's this it's this freeing realization that i am a mess and all of my stuff is never going to be entirely unselfish i mean i'm i'm a selfish creature and i want to make it everything about me and yet my salvation in him is entirely a gift all by his goodness and he makes me absolutely clean in the sight of god radiant with his own righteousness is what the great news of the gospel is he has taken our sin upon himself and clothed us with his righteousness it's it's a really stunning thing um God so loves us that he wants us to pursue those things that are going to satisfy us in him, Hmm. right? He wants us to find our love in him so that when we take care of ourselves spiritually, when we seek him and for our benefit, right, the greatest love we can have is when we love ourselves for God's sake, 
that's the heart of God for us, for his church. We're his bride. He so loves us. He wants us to be so safe in him and so cared for that when we care for ourselves and for one another as his church, that is the highest degree of love because that satisfies the heart of God. It's like that thing that we mentioned earlier from John Piper. God is most glorified by us when we are most satisfied in him. Why? Because he loves us and he loves to see us satisfied. And so when we're coming about all these disciplines, we do it for ourselves. And God delights when we take care of ourselves, when we find our satisfaction in him. Hmm. God delights when we long to see him smile. And so it, it In doing these disciplines, our motives begin to change. We're no longer reading the Bible for the checklist reason. Right. We're doing it because, man, I want to know him more so that when I pray to him, I'm I'm praying to God as he is. I know his character. I've seen who he is, and I know how he works in my life and in the lives of all the generations that have gone before me. I want to know him, and I want to see him smile. Yeah. Don't let the if there's a negative connotation in your mind for the word discipline because there clearly is with mine because I'm stuck on that <laughs> and can't get past it. Um, but if there's a negative connotation of discipline and meaning like like punishment and you've been bad, what we talk about here really are habits and practices and ways in which we develop our relationship yeah. with God and get mm-hmm. to know there, Him and He gets to know us. There's a, a quote that I love from the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys back in the day. That uh, would Tom, be Tom Landry. Tom Landry, yes. yeah. God's and, own coach. Yeah. I, love, I like, I really, <laughs> Coach Landry was awesome. But anyway, he, he says this, and this is kind of the heart of, of where the disciplines are, are coming from. He says, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. And so if you're <laughs> listening to this, you know, every, <laughs> that's really good. I'm going to, I get it. You know, that, isn't that great? That's awesome. But that's, that's kind of the heart behind what we're getting after. Like there's, there's times I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to set aside things that are immediately gratifying to do these spiritual disciplines. But the reality is we have to do the things that we might not want to do in the moment to become what we've always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us listening to this podcast episode. If you like what you hear, we encourage you please to subscribe to Out of Water on uh, we got on Apple Podcasts. It's on Google Play Music. It's also on Spotify. And uh, give us a good rating and talk it up amongst your friends because the more people that subscribe and the more people that give it good ratings, the easier it is for people to find the podcast and get to listen to this content. Also, if there's uh, if you want to get caught up on past episodes, you can find everything by going to our website, riovistachurch.com slash out of water, riovistachurch.com slash out of water. You can send email to us also if you've got a question or you want to make a comment, out of water at riovistachurch.com. And we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash out of water.